Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Vegan Diaries podcast. My name is Liz Douglas, your host, and I am here to help inspire you and make it as easy as possible to explore a vegan lifestyle. On the show, we connect with some of the most interesting people within the vegan community, like plant-based recipe creators, influencers, bloggers, politicians, animal activists, dietitians, and entrepreneurs, all of whom are contributing to this rapidly evolving global movement that you and I are now a part of. Thank you for joining me and let's get into today's episode. Hello, it is Liz. Welcome back to the Vegan Diaries podcast. I've got a great episode for you today with psychologist Steph Giorgio. Steph's been on the podcast a couple of times before, and obviously this is a non-vegan related episode. It's more of a lifestyle episode, like a mental health and wellness episode. But on today's episode, Steph and I are talking all things ADHD. So this was recorded as a TikTok video originally, like a TikTok live. So if you hear a couple of comments regarding questions people are asking or what their response are, then that's what that was in reference to. But it is a great episode because Steph goes through all of the different symptoms of ADHD, the process for getting diagnosed, what medication options are available, and the pathways for diagnosis in Australia. So very, very useful if you suspect that you might have ADHD or that somebody you love might have ADHD. And even if you don't, just a fascinating insight into a neurodivergent uh, rather than a neurotypical person's mind. So I hope you enjoy this chat with Steph. Here we go. I'll just let TikTok know that we are here on a Monday morning. We are both from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm Steph, and this is Liz, and we're going to be chatting about ADHD today. We will check the comments throughout to see if you have any additional questions, so do keep them coming. Keep the likes coming, tap your screen, and let's get into it. Liz, do you want to start and introduce yourself and what brought you here today? Yes. Okay. Well, hi everybody. My name is Liz. I'm Vegan Diaries on TikTok and Instagram. Basically, I'm like a foodie influencer, but I also have this podcast and I love to cover lots of lifestyle topics, health, wellness, psychology, how to basically make the most of your life, make it better. So um, that's why I love chatting to Steph because she's always got 
loads of useful insights for us on just little tips and insights into all things psychology. So that's me. Thank you. And for those wondering, me and Liz actually met on Instagram. I was looking for someone to help with photography and we met up and I said, girl, you have so much potential. You need to get out there. And now she's killing it. She's killing it on (laughs) Insta with her vegan recipes and her podcast. So well done. Very exciting. Thank you. For those who don't know me, my name is Steph and I'm a psychologist here to break it down. I feel I have to say that intro now every time. And I've been on TikTok since February, but I have been on social media for a while. But I love educating, validating and helping people understand what may be going on with their mental health. But I'm really into yeah, wellness, health, living a balanced lifestyle and going for your goals and dreams. So that's it. That's about me. I think that sums you up so well because Steph is just like the most motivated person on the entire planet, I think, which is why I feel like I'm always drawn to you because I just see you getting so much done and just, yeah, making the most of every opportunity that comes your way. Today's topic that we wanted to cover off, ADHD slash ADD. For those who, you know, maybe don't know exactly what it means and what the difference between those two terms is, could you give us a breakdown? What is ADHD and what is ADD? Sure. So ADD, it's not actually a diagnosis anymore. So ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which often begins in childhood or it can come out In adulthood, a lot of people don't get diagnosed till adulthood, and it's a brain-based condition that affects the way someone thinks, the way they process emotions, and the way they behave. And there are different types, but ADD used to be attention deficit disorder. So people struggled regulating their attention, but they weren't necessarily hyperactive or impulsive, but that diagnosis is gone. It's either ADHD, and you either have an inattentive presentation an impulsive hyperactive presentation or a combined presentation of the two. And it is something you were born with. It doesn't go away. You learn to manage it a bit better. But just think about having a race car brain with bike-sized pedals. Your brain is going a million miles an hour, but your brakes don't really work the same as other people's brakes, which may result in a range of different symptoms, which I'm happy to go through. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Like, could you give us an overview of what ADHD or ADD looks like for somebody who might be experiencing it, but isn't, you know, sure that they have it yet? Yeah, for sure. So the most common symptoms we see is difficulty getting started on tasks. It's that activation. They know they need to do stuff, but there's this sort of paralyzing procrastination, which means they usually leave things to the last minute People struggle with regulating their attention. So it's not a deficit of attention, but it's more regulating, which means if we look at attention on a dial and we can sort of turn up that dial when we need to do a task. But for people with ADHD, they're either on 100, they are hyper-focused, or the dial is is random. They're giving random attention to multiple things. It's sort of like this shiny object syndrome where they see one thing and they're like, oh, I've got to do that, or I might as well do this. And It makes completing tasks very difficult. They struggle to hit deadlines. And the reason for all of this is, as I said, it's a brain-based condition. It's issues with executive functioning. So your frontal lobe is where your executive functioning happens. And think of this as the CEO of your brain. It's your logical reasoning, your decision-making, your judgment, 
your rational type behavior, your processing speed. And because this doesn't work the same way as neurotypicals, they struggle with memory, remembering information, the rate that they process information is different. And this can cause many struggles for men and women, but more particularly in recent times, women, because Mm. a lot of women have been living with this and don't even know it. That is the thing that I I feel like everybody's talking about ADD and ADHD at the moment, and especially women, which is so interesting because when I think of ADHD, and obviously I'm not a psychologist as well, everybody who's um, listening should know, um, obviously it's just Steph who's a psychologist, but my impression of ADHD, I think back to high school or like primary school, and it was always that hyperactive little boy who couldn't sit still and who was kind of disruptive in class. I've never ever met a woman who had ADHD until literally this year, and I feel like there's just an influx of women getting diagnosed. So why do you think that is? And I can see a lot of people asking the same question uh, in the comments. The reason for the influx is because women are becoming more aware of their difficulties. Before lockdown BC, before COVID, women just got on with it. They went to work, they came home, they looked after the kids, whatever it was, but it wasn't until their struggles outweighed their coping, right? And that was unlocked in lockdowns because we Mm. couldn't keep busy. We didn't have the dopamine-inducing activities that do help with ADHD. So, for example, we didn't have access to gyms, going out, dancing, partying, whatever it might be, whether your coping's adaptive or maladaptive. People really struggled with that. And especially women, it's not until they have children that they realize, holy crap, Something's not right. Why am I not coping? How are other women doing this? So I really believe that lockdowns, A, unmasked the real struggles that people were either in denial about or didn't want to think was neurological. They're just like, there's something wrong with me. I, I'm i not motivated. I'm not trying hard enough because these are the messages people hear growing up. So one, lockdowns. Mm-hmm. The second thing I think is the influx is People are becoming more aware of what ADHD may actually look like. And it looks different for men and women. And in the DSM-5, this is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that we use to diagnose people. The diagnostic criteria is very male-based. It's very brain-based. And they don't talk about the sort of emotional symptoms that we do see in there, such as rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which we can go into. But... The diagnostic criteria is very male dominant and I think lockdowns exacerbated women realizing this and TikTok. I think TikTok has a massive responsibility in this because there's so many amazing content out there educating people. And I'm curious to know if you're listening to this and you have ADHD, you've been recently diagnosed, what do you think has led to this this rise? Because I think there's so many different and interesting opinions. Yeah, it's been fascinating watching some of those videos where people are like representing how their like inner dialogue is working when they're just trying to complete a task. I remember like one of the ADHD videos that I saw a woman was like, she's like me trying to just do a simple task and she's like brushing her teeth, but then a million thoughts are running through her head and she's sort of half brushing her teeth and goes to like put the washing on and then comes back. And then it's very exhausting. It kind of seems. You mentioned a couple of interesting things just in that bit there. The first one was maladaptive versus adaptive kind of coping mechanisms, I think. Could you explain the difference? Yeah, sure. So I did a a video on this yesterday. It's actually got a lot of attention because we all cope 
in either adaptive ways, which means healthy, functional ways, or we adapt in maladaptive ways, or we cope in maladaptive ways. And at the end of the day, it's all to meet a need. Whatever the need is, our life is about meeting needs. And for example, if you have a need to, you know, feel really good, you can go to the gym or you can take drugs. Either way, the need's <laughs> going to be met, <laughs> but there's going to be different consequences and implications of that. So look, it's okay to have a little bit of maladaptive as long as it's not excessive. For example, binge eating is very demonized, but a little bit of binge eating from time to time and emotional eating can be very adaptive and healthy. But when your maladaptive coping becomes your only coping, that's when it can be problematic. And the research has shown people with ADHD who do tend to engage in maladaptive coping, such as alcohol use, drug use, online spending, workaholism, you know, sex, whatever it might be, they're more prone to developing addictions. It's really interesting. And so when it comes to the DSM-5 and the diagnostic, that's the diagnostic criteria, right, for ADHD? Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned then there was the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Was that it? Have I got that right? Yes, RSD. Yeah, was that something that wasn't really used in the diagnostic process before, like, COVID, do you think? No, I didn't even know what RSD was. I learned this through TikTok. Everyone's like, talk about RSD, RSD. I didn't know what it was, and I'm not going to lie about it (laughs) because it is new and it's emerging to the surface. So RSD is the emotional pain used to describe the feeling that, People with ADHD and more research is showing people without ADHD too may experience when they perceive they're being criticized in some way. So, for example, Mm. I may go to work and my boss says, hey, Steph, that project I put you on, I've just given it to Ben because you have a heavy workload. Instead of me thinking, great, that's awesome. Thanks for caring about my workload. I think, (laughs) what have I done wrong? He's taken the project off me because I'm not good enough. He doesn't believe in me and I'll get this emotional pain that feels unbearable. So dysphoria means difficult to bear or unbearable, right? And that's what it means. And it has implications because people who believe that they're going to be criticized are likely to avoid situations. And also in in conjunction to being criticized, rejection-sensitive dysphoria is also not living up to your expectations or the expectations of others, believing you're not, believing you're not meeting your own expectations or the expectations of others, which leads to this emotional pain, which makes it really hard to do things. And Mm. it's not in the DSM-5 because an emotional symptom is very hard to quantify and it's very hard to measure. And typically in the DSM-5, it's not there because I believe it's, it's hard to measure and hard to quantify, but in future editions, Should it be there? Probably. Interesting. And so what is in the diagnostic criteria in the DSM-5? Let's go have a look. Yeah, I would love to know. (laughs) This is the book. This is the DSM-5. Damn, it's a heavy book. (laughs) It's a bit heavy. It's a lot of of disorders in here. But (laughs) there's different categories in here, right? There's different classifications. You've got, you know, addictive disorders. You've got impulsive disorders. And then you have neurodevelopmental. So that means it's to do with development and neuro, it means it's to do with the brain. So ADHD comes under the neurodevelopmental. So I'm just going to go to this on page 
$59.99 for anyone who's listening and wants to check it out. You can also get a digital <laughs> or copy of this or a mini, mini copy, but obviously it's for mental health clinicians. So the diagnostic criteria, basically all it says is a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development as characterized by either inattention and then there's six or more features of inattention. Number two is hyperactivity and impulsivity. So you need to meet six symptoms of either one of these. But then on top of that, the symptoms have to impair with your functioning. Mm. A lot of people have these symptoms. You have these symptoms. I have these symptoms. Doesn't mean we well, have yeah. ADHD. <laughs> Or as you were talking about it before, I was like, ooh, sounding familiar. <laughs> I know. And that's why everyone thinks they have ADHD because they're like, I have that. I struggle with that. And, yes, within today's society, there's variations of ADHD where we may have some symptoms. They call this VAST, where you have, may have some symptoms but not the full criteria. But, anyways, the inattention is, you know, failing to give close attention to details, making careless mistakes, difficulty sustaining attention, does not seem to listen when directly spoken to, difficulty organising tasks and activities, dislikes engaging in tasks that require sustained mental effort, losing things, glasses, paperwork, books, wallets, easily distracted and forgetful. And the other thing is I feel this is heavily designed for children as well. So I, mm. I don't know, maybe in the future they need a separate childhood disorder, DSM, and a separate adulthood one. But I feel that this criteria is very child and male focused. Yeah, because I had never heard as well pre-COVID of anybody as an adult getting diagnosed with ADHD. It was always something that I thought of as like a small child kind of thing or that something that people learned how to manage by the time they'd reached adulthood or I don't know, maybe they'd gone into like sports or something that was, you know, maybe better suited to their kind of brain and the way that their mind works. You mentioned earlier as well, like the whole neurotypical versus neurodivergent. Am I getting those right? Yes. I'm sure a lot of people are probably familiar with those terms, but in case anybody isn't, could you just give a very brief overview of the two? Yes. And I'm so glad you asked because someone did ask in the comments, what does neurotypical mean? And I think it is such a fantastic question. So neurotypical is a descriptive word that refers to someone who has the brain functions, behavior, and the emotional processing that is considered to be standard or typical, right? People who are neurotypical tend to sort of not have too much difficulty engaging with day-to-day tasks. It's, I guess, the way the brain typically develops, right? Whereas when we think of neurodivergent or neurodiverse, it means there's diversity in how the brain has developed. And it means that the individual has less typical cognitive variation. And this can include autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. Think of it as development, neurodevelopmental. So if your neurodevelopment is different or non typical to what you would expect that's neurodiverse and then if you're you know neurodevelopmental processing and functioning is typical then neurotypical but I just like to say differencing in brain wiring Mm, okay thank you that explains very clearly what are some of the things like 
obviously there's those symptoms there that are listed in the DSM-5 and we've talked about a couple of these, but what are some of the other things that women with ADHD might struggle with that a neurotypical person wouldn't? Like you mentioned, you know, when women have children, they might find it harder. Is it just day-to-day tasks or, yeah, could you give us some other examples? Yeah, things such as cooking, shopping, because cooking involves a lot of executive function. You know, you're a, a chef yeah. on Instagram. You got to find the recipe. You got to plan the time. You got to get the ingredients. You got to measure it out. You got to wait. You got. You need memory. You need processing speed, and all those functions are needed for something that seems as simple as cooking. But a lot of women believe women should be able to cook and clean and get the kids and do the shopping and all of that. So what we see in women specifically is this inability to predict how long something may take. We see difficulty maintaining small talk. They get exhausted from a normal routine or what would be considered a a regular schedule. They feel overloaded with too much conversation or stimulation. And this is, I'm just sort of combining the impulsive, hyperactive and the inattentive subtype, but they may blurt out or interrupt. So women who have the impulsive, hyperactive, we see talkativeness it's more rather than being hyperactive and jumping on chairs like that child that we imagine that typical boy who has ADHD women are more mentally impulsive and mentally racing with their thoughts they may blurt out they may interrupt they may say things that are a bit Ooh, are you sure about that they don't really have that filter and that's this is why ADHD sorry to go off topic but I need to Mm. this is why people with ADHD may often get labeled as narcissistic or have you know questions around are you not you know do you have narcissism because the impulsivity and the inability to kind of hold back what you're thinking can come across as narcissistic but I think it's more impulsive than narcissistic Mm. So like oversharing, you know, when you first meet somebody and they're like, you know, like instantly telling you about all this drama that's happening in their lives. Well, it's like that could be a symptom of ADHD. Ooh, oversharing. That's a good one. Possibly because often they will blurt out things and if they're feeling they're connecting with someone, they may just sort of go with it. And another thing is there's a lot of, we see people with ADHD use alcohol or stimulants more. So that could lead mm. to oversharing as well. I've done a video on oversharing. I'm just trying to see if I've got notes on it, but oversharing can come from a lot of different things. It can come from trauma, which has a strong correlation with ADHD. What we find is a massive risk factor for ADHD is being exposed to adverse life experiences or trauma. What about other things that ADHD can get misdiagnosed as? Like I'm thinking anxiety maybe because somebody might just be like, you know, like my mind is racing, you know, I can't sit still, I can't focus. That can often be associated with anxiety too, right? A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought this up because there are people who've had anxiety and depression for 10 years, 20 years. It doesn't make sense. Anxiety and depression should be treated and you should be okay to live your life, but What I learned in my early career as a psychologist is doctors would send people to me because you have to have a diagnosis to get psychological therapy and the diagnosis would be anxiety and depression. Okay. And I would work with this and we would resolve this and they'd manage it. But there was always a deeper trauma and this anxiety and depression weren't the diagnosis. They were the symptoms of something else. So if your anxiety and depression is persistent and it's been going on for years and it's 
just there all the time, it could be from something else such as a neurodevelopmental condition because anxiety really does come from ADHD. There's so much anxiety having to be told all the time that you're running late, that you're not hitting deadlines, that if only you applied yourself, if only you really hit your full potential Mm. and being told that all the time, girl, that's not going to make you feel good. You're going to feel pretty depressed and shit. Everybody can relate to these uh, symptoms in some way, right? So how do you know that you might have ADHD or if you're thinking, oh, wow, this is sounding really familiar. And it certainly does for me. Like I've honestly considered going and seeing if I actually have it, but where does it become ADHD and where is it just, you know, normal kind of flaws, I guess. Yeah. Where do we draw the line of yeah. what you may have? Cause you know, I say to people, mental health happens on a spectrum and there's a spectrum of lots of different Disorders. Not that ADHD happens on a spectrum, but what I'm saying is on the far end, you obviously have a diagnosis. Now, the keys to a diagnosis versus having some symptoms is the level of impairment it has on your life. So if you forget stuff time to time, but you're not impaired by it that much, that's okay. But ADHD has to really affect your life, your relationships, your work history, your schooling. And the difference between ADHD is you can track it back through a long trajectory of your life. It's not something that happens because you're stressed because you're trying to organize a wedding or you're stressed because you're pregnant. Usually people have these symptoms through different seasons of their life, but ADHD is persistent and people can recall from primary school these types of challenges, even though they may be different. They were the type of woman to sit at the back of the classroom hoping the teacher doesn't call them up to answer a question like that. So you can A, track it over a long period of time, B, there's a level of impairment, and C, it doesn't really go away. It's not something that, oh, when I'm less stressed, I don't forget. It's persistent. And because it's in your brain, it doesn't go. It's always there. Mm, That's really interesting. And you mentioned like the seasons of life and how people might just be in that stressed kind of phase. So then all those environmental factors are probably just depleting you, I guess, of maybe some of your normal cognitive functioning, right? Rather than it being like from childhood. So that's really, that's really helpful to know. So what if though, say, you know, you've done reasonably well at school or you don't have examples then of how this has really impacted your life. It's just been something that you felt internally that you've struggled with and managed like, you know, by yourself. Would that probably not, I mean, obviously you would need to see someone one-on-one to be formally diagnosed, but that probably wouldn't be an ADHD diagnosis. And this is the thing. A lot of women have done well at school because people engage in overcompensating, right? Because they may be late or they struggle with deadlines, they will overcompensate. And we see a lot of perfectionism with ADHD. So if you have done okay at school, you're not really sure, you can always speak to someone about it or see if you resonate with what's out there. So for example, in your case, if you're resonating with what's going on, you can do a screening test online. Not that this is a diagnostic tool, but a lot of people find relief in actually looking into this and seeing if they resonate with the literature and the research out there. I'm using myself as a guinea pig, right? So I'm saying like, I did reasonably well at school, but I do feel like when you list these symptoms, I'm like, oh no, I relate to all of those, but externally, outwardly, I don't 
like when I've said that to people, when I'm like, do you think I could have ADHD? They're like, oh my God, no way. Like you did really well in school. Yes. You've always held down like full-time jobs. They're just like, absolutely not. But internally I'm like, oh God, no, I've just been, I feel like a duck, you know, paddling and at the surface, everything looks fine. But underneath I'm paddling like a million miles an hour. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I guess, yeah. yeah. So you're suggesting do an online screening test first to get some clarity. Yeah. And here's the question. The people you're asking, Liz, do they have ADHD? No, they don't. And it's usually the people who don't have it who are the first to criticize medication. They're the first to criticize a potential diagnosis because, again, they have this stigma or this view of what ADHD should look like. So maybe ask people with ADHD what they think if you give them your symptoms and how you're feeling. They may be able to offer a different insight because I think who we ask about our mental health concerns has a lot to do with the type of answers we're going to get. But yes, if you think you may be struggling with this, for anyone listening, go online, have a look at what is out there. We run a ADHD exploration appointment, my team, where we actually, for 30 minutes, just give you the information on what the process looks like, because it's really confusing and it can be really expensive. So we actually offer exploration sessions where you can explore your concerns with someone get given the options of what pathway to take. And I'm hoping that this type of service helps clear the confusion for many people. I think that's a great service as well, because it's not as full on as like booking in like, you know, a mental health plan or something with your GP and then getting like this, you know, like full process underway, I guess. Because when I was considering speaking to somebody and I was chatting to my mum about it, because I'm convinced my mum has ADHD. Anyway, if I don't, she absolutely does. But um, she was just like, well, why would you want to get diagnosed though? She's just like, it's a gift, Elizabeth. It's a gift. Not everybody has the impetus to start things in their life. Your mum! Yeah, she loves it. (laughs) She's like, I probably do, but why would I want to get diagnosed? She's like, I love that. And it's it's so interesting because there's this whole movement on TikTok. I haven't actually seen it, but I've been people have been telling me to look it up and comment it where people are coming out saying ADHD is not a diagnosis, it's a gift, it's an art, you've got to oh, go with it. Wow. And it's so funny you say that because if your mum does have ADHD, that means you have a one in three chance of having it. Oh really? And That's fascinating. Per- yeah. It has such a strong genetic heritability wow. component. And if Ooh. two parents have it, you have a two in three chance of having it. But No way. Okay. My dad definitely doesn't, but he's like calm as, I was about to say calm as a cucumber. I don't know if that's cool as a cucumber. That's the expression. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's interesting because my mum wouldn't mind me sharing this at all, but she's diagnosed as bipolar. So she often has manic kind of phases. She's medicated for it. She's been medicated for a long time. And yeah, she's totally open about it. So she wouldn't mind me sharing. But I, in my head, I'm just like, you're diagnosed as bipolar, but maybe you just had like a period where you were depressed and you've actually got ADHD. Yes. It's so interesting there's so much I want to cover here is number one, your mum said, why would you get diagnosed even if you have it? Right. And a lot of people, and I'm seeing in the comments here, people are saying, I'm 50. Is there any point getting diagnosed? I think a diagnosis, you've got to ask yourself, what would that mean for me? If I found out I did have ADHD, what would that give me? Would that give me relief? Would it give me validation for my concerns? Would it give me treatment options such as medication? That can be life changing for people with ADHD because it's helping correct that imbalance of dopamine in the brain, norepinephrine, all those types of neurotransmitters. 
what does life look like if you keep going on like this? Because people don't know any different. Their normal may be so ingrained that they don't know how good they could be feeling or how functional they could be. So I definitely think no matter your age, there is a benefit in investigating it if it means you're going to feel validated, you're going to function better and to have some answers. Mm. If you do get diagnosed, say you get diagnosed, you've got ADHD, is the solution for everybody medication or is it just that awareness and validation? Yeah, it's, and I've really been taking a deep dive on medication on my page because there's so many questions on this. Before I go into that, I just want to go back to your mum. Yeah. It's so interesting. You said your mum received a diagnosis of bipolar because you asked me, do people get misdiagnosed or get other diagnoses before ADHD? And the answer is yes. A lot of women will usually get diagnosed with borderline personality disorder due to the fluctuations in their mood, which is the emotional dysregulation part of ADHD, which is not in the DSM. So women who go and express, I have, you know, I'm really sensitive to criticism. It sounds like BPD, borderline personality disorder. Or similarly with bipolar, they can receive that diagnosis because they have these, you know, hyperfixation in ADHD where you really focus on a task where, and then you have these lows in your mood, that crash where you feel bad and you feel down and it can mimic it. And I think it's one in six people with bipolar will also have ADHD. I've got the statistic on my page, but I could go over it again. And yes, it can be diagnosed as something else. So you can have both, uh, but yes, you can be diagnosed with a different condition before ADHD. I think, look, at the end of the day, I think it can be quite harmful with the whole spiritual world saying, you know, it's not a diagnosis, it's a gift. And I think that can, I get it, I get, I get it. But at the end of the day, if it's interfering with your functioning and your mental health, you have to address it. And Mm. it can be very validating for people having this and it's hard and it's challenging. So I don't want that perspective to invalidate people. But to go back to your actual question on medication, is it the only way? Medication is something people don't want to talk about. There's some stigma around it. And it's like I said earlier, the stigma around ADHD is usually by people who don't know how much people struggle with ADHD. They haven't heard the stories of people crying once they're on medication because they can't believe the impact that it has. I've had clients say, Steph, I literally feel like I can see for the first time. And it's, it's an interesting one because people may say, oh, you know, can, is, are there alternatives before we get on medication? That's kind of like saying, look, you can try squinting for a year before you buy glasses. I mean, it doesn't fix the issue because medication helps the brain-based condition because in ADHD, your dopamine, your norepinephrine, it doesn't work the same. It doesn't transmit the same. It doesn't get sort of taken up in the same way as neurotypical. So the first thing first is it helps with that. Medication actually helps to correct the dopamine, correct the serotonin. And when your dopamine nor epinephrine, that helps with motivation, that helps getting started on tasks, right? It helps to just refresh the channels of your brain and be able to think more clearly. And then once you have that, you're more likely to see other areas of your life improve. You're better able to engage in therapy. You're less likely to use maladaptive coping such as drugs, alcohol, caffeine, 
believe it or not, but caffeine and drugs, they do stimulate the frontal lobe. So that's all medication does is it stimulates the frontal lobe and it says, shush, focus on one thing at a time. It's the opposite to someone who doesn't have ADHD. So neurotypicals who have, uh, you know, caffeine or drugs or alcohol, they're like, woo, I feel so jittery. Whereas it does the opposite for people with ADHD. It actually helps them focus. That is fascinating. And Sorry, just to go back one step further as well, pre-medication. So if somebody does want to get diagnosed, what is the formal process for that? Good question. So can you get diagnosed by a psychologist for ADHD? Yes. Can you get medication from a diagnosis from a psychologist? Not from the psychologist, but a report from a psychologist that is taken to a psychiatrist can aid in your diagnosis for ADHD. A psychiatrist needs a couple of sessions to be able to do a formal assessment and to diagnose you, having collateral information from a psychologist saying, look, I've done these tests, I've done this clinical interview, this is what we've come up with. You have to see a psychiatrist if you are considering psychopharmacological intervention, which is medication, because a psychiatrist has to give a letter of permit to a doctor to be able to prescribe the medication because they are methamphetamines. It's not an antidepressant that a doctor can just prescribe. It's a Schedule 8 drug, which is serious business. So if you want medication to be considered as part of your ADHD journey, then you need to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist. But seeing a psychologist prior to that can help because it's not just ADHD. A lot of people with ADHD, I don't think I've seen anyone with just ADHD. It often comes with lots of different friends, anxiety, eating disorders, substance use disorders, borderline personality disorder, complex trauma, PTSD, not everyone, but in most cases, seeing a psychologist can help weed out any other mental health going on. Yeah. Okay. So if you're in Australia, obviously we can only speak to Australian medical practices here or what, sorry, what the process is for getting rebates and things like that in Australia. So can you get like a mental health care plan from your GP to get the ADHD diagnosis? Like, do you need to go to your GP before you engage a psychologist or a psychiatrist for a diagnosis? If you want a rebate, yes. But I must say there are different ADHD assessments. Now, some of them include a cognitive assessment. A cognitive assessment, we do a lot more in children because what it does, it's basically an IQ test. It goes for two hours. It highlights someone's strengths and weaknesses, and it can help rule out other explanations of your difficulties, learning difficulties, potential autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, developmental delays, potential ADHD. A cognitive assessment is expensive and it's time consuming. And you can't do a cognitive assessment under a mental health plan. So you have to pay out of pocket for that. However, with a psychologist who does a clinical interview, can do psychometric assessments, we can claim all that under a mental health plan and you don't need a cognitive assessment to receive an ADHD diagnosis. So yes, you can see a psychologist under a mental health plan and get a rebate, but not if you want to get a full COG assessment. That's a separate service. Okay. That makes sense. And do you know roughly the cost of that cognitive assessment or will it just vary by provider? Yeah, it depends. It depends on your age and where you are. I know there are people in the comments saying that their children got it done for free at a school, which is amazing. If you have a child, schools do potentially offer that service or you can go see a provisional psychologist. So this is a psychologist in training who is supervised. 
They do offer low-cost assessments. You can go through there. But a COG assessment can cost anywhere between $700 to $1,200 or more if you do want to get that done. And it can be useful. It does provide a lot of information around what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You get an IQ. You can find out what sort of vocations you may be suited to, what kind of jobs you may be suited to. I used to do these COG assessments as part of vocational Uh, like people wanting to change jobs or not really knowing what they wanted to do. I think it's really great for kids to get it and young people. But as an adult, you'll know if you have a learning difficulty, if you can read, if you can write, if you can do all those things, but it seems more executive functioning based. You don't need a COG assessment for an ADHD diagnosis, but if you can afford it and you're curious to know, go for it. Okay. That's really interesting. And Going back to the medications, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but yes. so we know what the formal diagnosis process would be. And then we talked about some of the stigma around getting the medication and how that would work. Can we just touch on a little bit? So for people who maybe like my mama saying, no, it's a gift. Like, why would I want to be medicated for something like this? How does somebody feel off medication versus on medication who has ADHD? Yes. So the amazing thing with ADHD medication is you can pick and choose when you want to take it. If you're having a low-key day where you don't need to be on, you cannot take it. Whereas if you've got a day where you need to be switched on, you need to be alert, you can take it. It's not like an antidepressant where you have to take it every day. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you can pick and choose choose it because all it does is it stimulates the brain. It helps you focus. It helps you remain attentive. It quietens the noise and the distractions. And when you're not on it, your brain will just be louder. You may have more racing thoughts. You may struggle with attention. Just you, You'll just be who you've been for the past 20 years. That's all. So somebody who does get medicated, then they don't need to feel like they are going to be on this every single day like you would be with a depression or anxiety medication. It's something that you could just take on a day where you're like, you know what, I'm going to have a really intense day of meetings. I need to focus. I'm going to use the medication today. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the option. And then like Cinderella, it'll wear off at midnight, depending on what medication you're on. And you can start again. And I think if you're someone who is worried about medication, there is so many options. So there's medication choices if you are vulnerable for developing an addiction or you have an addictive personality. There's medication options if you hate taking pills. There's soluble versions that you can put into water. There's long-acting versions. So if you have lots of forgetfulness and you struggle to take your medications, there's ones that can last, you know, 10 to 12 hours. Yeah, but this I just want to preface that this is different for everyone. Everyone has their own medication needs and You may need to take them every day and there's nothing wrong with that, but I just want to highlight the different options. Yeah, no, it's fascinating because I'm sure so many people, you know, who've had anxiety or depression in the past and have been medicated, it's like, you know, there's quite a commitment around taking that medication. So it's interesting to know that this medication obviously works very differently. And you said that it is, it's like a methamphetamine, right? Yeah. So can it be addictive then? Like it, it can be addictive. Let me go through this. I was actually going to, I've got it all written on my whiteboard, but I don't know how much you'll be able to see it. So there's two different types. There's stimulants and there's stimulant-like medication, which means they act like stimulants, but they're not stimulants. So 
Technically, the way it works is different, but if you're worried about getting addicted or being addicted to it, you can go for the stimulant-like medication. It's not actually a stimulant, or you can go for an, an outlier. So an outlier medication, it's not a stimulant and it's not like a stimulant, and it works a little bit differently. It's good for people who may have anxiety, depression as well. But medication, there's a really high level of people now taking Vyvanse. And I'm going to do a video on this because I'm getting a lot of questions on it. So Vyvanse is a long acting stimulant, but it's a type of stimulant that can't be injected, snorted, or basically you can't use it like a typical methamphetamine. So that option is being widely prescribed at the moment. But again, depending on where you're from, I know our audiences are from Australia or USA, this may differ. But medication actually makes it less likely that people are going to develop addictions because it's fixing the thing that makes people get addicted in the first place. So what they found is addictions typically happen around the age of very young, 13 years old or younger. And the research has shown if you give people medication early on, they're actually less likely to develop an addiction later on in life. Oh, wow. Whereas people think it's the opposite, but it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. And good to know, I guess, because that word methamphetamine can sound a little scary, but I suppose when you break it down like that and, you know, it's showing that it's supporting behaviors that would may otherwise lead to addiction, then that's, yeah, really comforting to know. Yeah. And I think, look, at the end of the day, it's a trial. You have to give it a go. You have to speak to your psychiatrist, communicate about your symptoms. And if you're having concerns around that, around addiction, around tolerance, around it, there's always going to be support out there. So don't don't let your fear of that stop you from getting help for anyone listening. Thank you so much, Steph. I feel like you have just given us the most incredible overview of all things ADHD, getting diagnosed, medication. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we um, finish today? No, just thank you for having me on your page. If you're listening to this and you enjoy the content, please let us know, send some likes our way, comment on our page. We really appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much for the gift, (laughs) Ghost. And if you haven't checked out Liz's page, she is awesome. She's amazing. She has the best recipes ever and lots of other good information. (laughs) But a massive thank you to everyone who's joined and people who look into their mental health and be proactive about your mental health. It's, It's fantastic. So thank you for being here and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Steph. And if people do want to book one of those exploratory sessions with yourself or somebody from your team, where can they go? Yeah, so on my TikTok link, there is a option to click and book in. It'll be with one of my team members who are fantastic and we can take you through the whole process and you can book directly online. Amazing. Okay, well, thanks, Steph. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And, yeah, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Thanks, Liz. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Vegan Diaries podcast. Episodes are released weekly on a Monday at 5am for all you early birds. If you did enjoy today's show, if you could consider leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts, that is the best way to support the show. 
You can also leave a star rating on Spotify or your app of choice. And if you'd like to get updates on the show in the meantime, please follow me on Instagram at vegan diaries with three underscores on the end. Or you can also subscribe to my mailing list, which is on my website, vegan-diaries.com. Thank you and speak to you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.